Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Real Sex Radio, the podcast where we get down and dirty to give you the dirt about real human sex. I'm your host, Hannah Deindorfer, a fairy godmother, sexuality, and somatics coach who is here to support you in having wildly intimate, connective, real sex. Sex is messy, fun, playful, awkward, and most of all, human. On Real Sex Radio, you'll hear stories from real people about their cringiest or most exciting or most awkward sex experiences and tips from the both of us on how you can improve your sex life. I'm here to keep it real. Welcome to the show. Today, I have my friend Amanda here to share about her experience with her own sexual journey and something that we're going to talk about today that I think is a really important topic and I'm excited to get into it. Thank you. I'm excited to talk today. Me too. Me too. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited to share about this topic because I think it's something that is a little taboo um, or angsty for people and so I'm happy to be an open book about it. Yay. Um, before we get started, can you please share your... Um, pronouns, Mm -hmm. your sexual orientation, and your ethnicity. Yes. So my pronouns are she, her. My sexual orientation is straight, and my ethnicity is white, Caucasian, whichever way you want (laughs) to go about it. Thank you. Um, So before we get into all the taboo, angsty Mm -hmm. stuff, um, I want to just hear a little bit about like the environment that you grew up in related to sex Mm -hmm. and what that was like to give context. Yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest and very close to an area called the Bible Belt, which means even though I didn't grow up in a particularly religious family, there was tons of religious influence. And the specific type of influence was pretty much, this is, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what the Bible says and everything else is bad. And so even though it wasn't overtly sexually shameful, it was very little, you know, mention of sex and definitely a lot of sex shaming towards Mm -hmm. people. And, you know, I actually had a lot of people in my family who had pregnancies really young. And I remember there being some like stigma and some fear around that and some Mm -hmm. judgment around that. And so there was always like this little bit of withdrawal around sex and the sexual experience and Mm -hmm. certainly didn't get more than junior high, high school sex ed, very technical (laughs) sex education. So um, it was, sex was a topic that was taboo and even like sexual expression, like, you know, um, if you know me, you know that I love Britney Spears. And so <laughs> yeah. my coming of age sexual experience was watching, you know, Britney Spears like dancing and gyrating and wearing these sexy outfits. And I would have, I would have felt like the biggest whore to wear a crop top back home in Missouri. And now I love to dress like that. And I don't think it's sexy or provocative at all. I think it's just like normal clothes, but there was something about like showing your midriff or showing too much body that was sexualized um, Mm -hmm. where I grew up and I still don't think I would dress like that very much when I go home just because it's not appropriate there yeah like what might happen to you if in your high school or when you were growing up Mm -hmm. if you were someone that was known to have sex with many people Mm -hmm. or with anyone yeah or you were someone that wore makeup and crop tops to school yeah oh you were just a slut and people talked about you behind your back I remember like we were so naive in junior high, I remember we had this this cheerleading coach and she was younger and she wore like tight skirts and you could tell that she wore thongs. And we thought that she must've just been the biggest whore because she wore thong underwear. And like, yeah. that was our perception. Like we were like, oh my, I don't even remember her name, but obviously we got those ideas somewhere. And now mm-hmm. 
again, no big deal. Like who cares if you wear underwear at all, but <laughs> like younger versions of us, like these were the crazy stories we had in our head. Totally. So, and not even from a religious school or upbringing, just because closed minded, you know, small town mentality. Totally. I remember I have a similar story. Like the first time I ever went underwear shopping with mm-hmm. one of my friends um, my mom took us to the mall and then my friend Caitlin and I went to Victoria's Secret without my mom knowing. Yes. We like snuck off by ourselves and went and bought thongs and my mom was so mad and I was upset because I was like, well, Caitlin wears thongs. Why can't I wear thongs? Yes. Like what the fuck? Um, didn't say that because if I had <laughs> cursed at my mom, it would be horrible. But there was like something about like specific types of clothing or mm-hmm. underwear or whatever that like just meant that you were a bad person yeah it was off limits and and I'm sure that even though that that little instance seems very you know minor to both of us that it made some sort of impact on our lives right definitely yeah what impact do you think that it had on your sex life after leaving that town I well the the short part of the story, the important part of the story, I guess, is that um, I didn't start having sex, or I was a very late bloomer. I was an ugly duckling, and they, someone who was like very shy and like standoffish around boys. And so I didn't start being flirtatious or having confidence. I'm doing that in quote marks until I started drinking alcohol, and that was around mm-hmm. the time I was 17 or 18. And so I didn't lose my virginity until after that. I lost my virginity. I wasn't drunk, but I was drinking. And every single one of my formative sexual experiences involved alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, Now today, I don't drink, and we'll talk about that. But it made it to where I thought that I needed something outside of myself to be vulnerable and be um, sexually expressive because that was the only way – that was how I found my way to that path. So then I associated – sex sexy equals drinking Mm -hmm. and although that's not true some part of my juvenile brain equated put all those things in the same basket definitely yeah yeah and I mean there is something about the alcohol being involved that makes you feel that way Mm -hmm. it's an inhibition lower it creates that feeling that oh I can do more I can do whatever I want here like was that what it was like for you a little bit? Totally. And it just seemed like sexy and provocative and sophisticated. So this was the um, the time when like Sex in the City was really popular. So oh, I kind of yeah. call it like the Carrie Bradshaw effect because, you know, Carrie Bradshaw was just this sex icon and she was sexy and she was sophisticated and she had men fawning over her and she was having great sex and all of these and writing about it and talking about it. And I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to leave my small town and go to a bigger city and so the thing that I could put into my mind that Carrie Bradshaw did was she had really expensive clothes and she always had a martini in her hand. Wow. Right? And so I couldn't afford expensive clothes, but I could afford vodka. So I could oh at least God. like remedy the situation in one way. And even wow, though... that gave me chills when you said that. That's right? incredible. Right? What it's media like, can do. It's She imprinted in my mind and there was no like subliminal messaging there. It was just... It was very obvious messaging. Yeah. And I saw that and I thought, oh no one's taught me how to do this. And so this must be my lesson. This is how I get there is I wear the right things, say the right things, and I drink a martini and that's check. You got it. You got the lifestyle you're looking for. And while it makes no sense, it made perfect sense to me back then. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that media in itself plays such a huge role in shaping how we behave socially. Mm -hmm. Like what is portrayed in media as negative or weird or 
not right or the people that are placed as outcasts in our favorite shows, mm -hmm. there's a certain type of behaviors that they have, yeah. which enforces into our psyche that if you do these things, you'll, we will be exiled. And if yes. you do these other things that the popular kids do, that the good people in the movies mm -hmm. do, then you'll be liked. It's a really easy way to instill values into a culture. Yeah. And your media. mind is so moldable at, you know, 17, 18, that you believe it easily. Totally. It's funny though, because on some level I knew that I needed a bigger education. And when I went to college, the two classes, you know, you have to take all your like core curriculum. And there were these two classes that were kind of like, off the beaten path that you had to really make sure you had to fight to get into. And you could either take psychology 101 or you could take gender, sex, and self. And I'm like, I'm taking gender, sex, and self. So I got up at like crack of dawn to make sure I could get into that class and world religion because something told me, and I'm just like having this epiphany right now, <laughs> something told me that I did not learn about those things in quite the way that was possible. Mm -hmm. And so I remember waking up my freshman or sophomore year so early to make sure that I got into those two classes. And they, even though I didn't, you know, completely undo all my years of programming, both of them expanded my mind in such magnificent ways. Like I'm so grateful that my younger self had the intuition to enroll in those two classes um, because they were, they taught me so much more than I had been mm. given in my crummy small town education. That is so amazing. Yeah. Good job, yes. college you. I know, I know. I was on top of it. Um, so one thing that I know is really important to you mm -hmm. that I would love to talk to you about is yeah. sobriety. Yeah. Um, do you want to open up that conversation? Yes. So I am almost six years electively sober. And what that means to me is that I chose to quit drinking for personal spiritual development reasons because I knew that it would offer me a better life. I knew that there was something more to my life that I wasn't getting at as a drinker. Um, as a party girl, Carrie Bradshaw type, I didn't have an addiction. I didn't need to go to AA or get a sponsor. Those are absolutely valid paths. But um, back when I was having this conversation with myself, kind of getting curious about changing my relationship with alcohol, there wasn't really anyone talking about sobriety from a as an empowering choice. And yet again, my inner guide led me to make this decision for whatever reason to quit drinking. And it is now the path, it's what I coach on. I coach women who want to practice elective sobriety as well and live an alcohol-free lifestyle. And in my dating and sex life, it's been a really expansive and empowering and also fucking terrifying thing. <laughs> because as I said, from the time I was 18 to 30, every single dating, every single sexual experience was all brought to you by Live With Courage. And then I had to relearn at 30 how to do all of that. And guess what? The shy, gawky, awkward 18 year old <laughs> girl was still in there and yeah. I had to go back and work with her again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy that you did that. Me too. I think something that is important for the conversation is like, you know, what happens when you take alcohol away for most people? Like, mm -hmm. you know, what is alcohol covering? Why are people choosing alcohol to have sex with? And then what happens when you take that away? Yeah. I mean, alcohol is a depressant, but what that means on the bigger scale is that anytime you've used alcohol as an emotional crutch or a social buffer, um, or for any reason, you're stunting your growth. You are limiting your capacity to do that thing in real life. Because let's be clear, I didn't feel funnier, sexier, or any of those things that I used alcohol to get rid of 
once alcohol was out of the picture and if it was really making me funny or sexy or you know happy or whatever then I would have been that without it and I wasn't in fact I was at a deficit because I'd used this crutch the entire time and so I think one of the things that we don't realize is that you have the power within you to be all of those things and it just takes practice and it's really scary to go back basically and start as a beginner with not a lot of skills and confidence and that can be intimidating like mm-hmm. having going out back into the dating market as a sober or alcohol free is usually the word that I use just because it has less stigma behind it as an alcohol free woman and having like new sexual experiences is really scary and really vulnerable and I will also say that I had no idea how much I was limiting my capacity to feel both emotionally and physically and experience just by drinking alcohol. So mm-hmm. using this thing, this um, you know, this tool of alcohol to loosen myself up for sexual experiences was actually numbing me out to a lot of pleasure that's available because it's shutting down your capacity to the literally the blood flow to your all of your organs including your sexual organs. So <laughs> my mind was blown when I finally started having sex that you could actually like, oh, you can feel a lot more things now that you're (laughs) you're not like physically numb to these sensations. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, that's such a powerful, such a powerful shift and like choice to make. I think it's so, it's just beautiful Mm -hmm. like to see and notice any place where you're numbing yourself. Yeah. Like alcohol is one way that people numb themselves, TV, Mm -hmm. drugs, food, even extreme exercise, which yeah. is what I did for a really long mm-hmm. time. Um, and just to, to come back into your body and feel and make that courageous journey from whatever it is you're using to numb, just back into sensation. Yeah. Like it's terrifying mm-hmm. because there is so much to feel. Yeah. And a lot of the time when, when I notice my clients come back into their bodies there's a lot of grief there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain there Mm -hmm. in the way of the pleasure first that kind of wants to come up and be experienced and that can be really scary to face that totally yeah it's I mean I'd be interested to hear about some of those like how you guide people through that experience but in in my personal life what I realized is that even though there wasn't I had a lack of knowledge about what I want and what I liked And there was also, yeah, a little grief and lots of little T traumas where maybe I said yes to things that I wasn't necessarily a yes for. Thankfully, I don't believe I was ever like taken advantage of, but I also think that I probably compromised a lot of my needs and desires Mm -hmm. just to be like the fun, frivolous girl. And, and your body knows when it's not a hell yes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, as the phrase goes, your body does keep score. And so you have to start to feel those, those areas where it's been a no before and to heal them and be kind to them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great awareness that you have around that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm curious, like as you had started having sex again and doing it without alcohol, like how has that evolved since then? Like how many years has it been? You said six years. Yes. Almost been six years. And to be, fair uh, there have been like long periods of celibacy in there like very very intentional and sometimes unintentional self-discovery mm-hmm. um but my first year alcohol free I knew I had the I had the knowledge that I'm not quite in the space to date yet mm-hmm. and I'm I don't 
I want to wait until it's very, very intentional. And I was lucky that I had that wherewithal because I waited until I was with a partner that I felt connected to, I felt safe with, and because I knew it was gonna be a vulnerable experience. And I can tell you, I've never, like, it was so liberating. I felt <laughs> so freaking comfortable. And so it was so fun and exciting and full of newness and feeling and sensation and playfulness that, and in connectedness that just hadn't been available before. Like really like looking at someone's eyes when you are <laughs> in a moment with them. I don't, I don't think I could even keep eye contact when I was drinking. Even if it wasn't a lot, you just lose the ability to really have that level of connectedness. So it was really, you know, it was really special to be able to just have, have that, even though it was scary, it's scary to look someone in the eyes when you are, um, just even for a prolonged period of time, like you and me right now, it's still, that's a vulnerable thing to do, but let alone when you're having sex with someone, but I don't, I didn't have the capacity to do it when I was drinking, nor did Mm -hmm. I know how important and special it was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. It makes me want to cry. I know. It's really great. It's so incredible Yeah. to go from never having sober sex mm-hmm. to your first time. It might, yeah. You might as well have been ha- having, making your very first time of sexual debut. So true. And you know, one of the things that I realized too, is that I, so much of my sex when I was drinking was performative because yeah. I don't, because it just was. And I also don't think I just, I knew what pleasure limits were available to me mm-hmm. because my pleasure centers were so shut down. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, one of the things that I really stopped doing is I'm sure I faked most of, if not all of my <laughs> orgasms when yeah. I was drinking. And then when I realized what an orgasm really felt like and that how it was achievable, I'm like, Oh, well that, that wasn't what I was having before. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that was, but this is a lot better. <laughs> yeah. And just like having a lot of epiphanies and wake up moments too, which has been really cool. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very happy for myself and with myself too. Yeah. And that's the best part too, that like, you know, I think what has shifted the most, or maybe you, I mean, maybe you can say like Mm -hmm. what shifted the most in your confidence and your self-assuredness and Mm -hmm. what's, what's that like? Yeah. Well, I mean, to be clear, there are still many moments where I get it wrong or I feel, um, not super confident, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, I know how to bring myself back to, the place where I'm centered and am feeling really empowered and powerful in those experiences. And I'm just able to communicate better with partners Mm -hmm. and I'm able to make more, I just think I thought that I was being fun and adventurous before when Mm -hmm. I was like, I thought that's what brought out the adventure, but what brings out adventure is clarity. And now I have clarity and I'm so much more willing to explore Mm -hmm. sexually. And that's been really fun too. And Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, great because this is something that all my clients are worried about. They're all terrified. Even those who have partners who have been married for years, they have been using, you know, alcohol to loosen things up. And to be able to hold space for this really important and vulnerable conversation because I've gone first yeah. is really important to me. It's integrity. Yeah, it's, what it's it being is. integrity with my work. And that you know doesn't mean that I'm always looking at my life as a science experiment, mm-hmm. but I always know that the experiences that I'm having are not just serving me, they're going to serve someone else too. Definitely. And, and that's a big responsibility and powerful thing too. Yes. Yeah. It is. 
So what is something new sexually that you have tried sober that maybe you wouldn't have ever tried even with alcohol? Yeah, totally. So um, more recently, I dated a man who identified as a dominant. So it was a dom-sub relationship. And that was something that I, again, when I lived in the Midwest, I remember when the book Fifty Shades of Grey came out and all the housewives were reading it. I'm like, I'm not going to read that shit. And (laughs) then to have this really awesome, cool, fun, explorative, respectful experience with someone who had sexual practices that were and preferences that were new and Mm -hmm. edgy to me was really, really fun and something that First of all, I do not think that that is an experience that you need to undergo if you are drinking or maybe even on substance. I don't have that personal experience, but I think that you need to be in a place of full consent whenever you are playing with edges. And it was a really fun experience that, yeah, I would not have been open to or safe for as a drinker. Definitely. I mean, I think that's something that I wanted to touch on too, was the mm-hmm. consent conversation mm-hmm. related to alcohol, related to sex. Yeah. And with DS specifically, like mm-hmm. that's a really powerful space where consent is talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot because it's technically potentially more unsafe because you could be doing things like tying people up mm-hmm. or gagging them or, you know, all sorts of spanking yeah. implements, things Lots like that. Of fun there, there's potential for unsafety, right? There, right. And so safety is a huge conversation in oh, the yeah. DS space, mm-hmm. but consent in general related to sobriety is: can you even really give consent if you're not sober? What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, you can verbally, you can say yes, but kind of like as I, as I was saying earlier, is you can say yes, but if you can't feel your body and your body's a no then you're incongruent and that's not good. Mm -hmm. And especially in situations where you're being a little more vulnerable, you're being a little more edgy and there is the potential for physical, you know, danger, even though these, this was a very respectful experience. Anytime you're, you're, you know, engaging in that type of play, you have to be careful and know that both people are fully present. And that's also the beauty of it is being fully present because Mm -hmm. it's, I can't, I can't imagine how unsexy it probably was to have sex with me as a drinker, <laughs> even though I thought that I was like at goddess level. Absolutely not. Like you are sloppy <laughs> and you are just, you're not in your body. And mm-hmm. there's something really just amazing and spectacular about being able to have a full body experience. And yeah, the, the dom sub re, uh, relationship and engagement was really, really fun. And something that really changed my mind about, um, different aspects of sex that, again, I would have been a little closed off to or had some opinions about as, um, as a younger self. And, and yeah, it just opened me up to new ways of being and, and yeah, I think it was a really great experience. I'm really glad that I got to have it. Me too. I'm really happy for you. When you first told me that I was like, let's go. Yes. And I think like any, any experience that we have, makes us greater for having had it Mm -hmm. regardless of what it is we become more by having a new experience of life and I think you know you are someone that really takes on new things very Mm open-heartedly with a lot of curiosity yeah and to go into that space with that 
mentality is, is really, really cool. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of myself about in that experience and the thing that I liked the most was my curiosity. Mm -hmm. And because I've been on this path for six years and because I've done a lot of self-exploration, I was able to be curious and ask questions. And there were even some moments where, you know, this person was like, wow, I've never had anyone ask me that. And he's been in this lifestyle for Mm -hmm. several, several years. And I just thought, wow, I'm a good, curious explorer. And it made me feel feel really, really proud that I was, you know, engaging in like a a conversation that even he hadn't been exposed to. So yeah, it, it was really, it's really fun. And I'm really just grateful for the level at which I'm able to explore life, even when I fumble or don't get it exactly the way that I want to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's a good place to stop. Yes. Um, my last question Mm -hmm. is that, you know, if any, if you could send a message about sex to everyone in the whole world, Mm -hmm. like what is it that you want people to know? Yeah. That you are, let me just channel in for a second. You are deserving of vulnerable, satisfying, expressive, communicative, fulfilling, satisfying sex at any level at which you want to experience it. And it, you deserve for it to be beautiful and all of those things. And it is available to you. And it is even more powerful if you choose to feel it fully. And that whether that means, you know, showing up just in your sexual life and choosing to be fully present and sober, um, or if that is you choosing to show up in your full life, you are deserving of that and worthy of it, and it's available to you. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Amanda. Of course. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks yeah. for being here.